Hi, everybody, and welcome to a special CaddyCube Tuesdays. I'm Jason Barnard, the brand SERP guy from CaddyCube. I'm here with Olga Zar. Welcome, Olga. Hi, Jason. I am very happy to be here. As always, being your guest is, is the biggest honor. So mm. uh, how are you doing? I'm doing absolutely fine. And today we're going to be talking about a technical SEO masterclass because we had a discussion about no index. We didn't agree. And I suddenly realized that I don't know as much about technical SEO as I thought I did. So we'll start with the song anyway. A quick hello and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, Olga That's awesome. If I if I knew how to sing, I would be I would be happy to sing back, but I won't try because you will lose your audience. <laughs> right. Okay. So you can run, I can sing. You're a huge runner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe well, not I that huge run. now as I used to be, but I'm still running. So SEO kind of has taken over and it, I think it has become a bigger passion even that's running than, run, than oh, running wow. recently yeah something kind of changed <laughs> oh wow I heard that running sets off some drugs in your brain that make yeah you yeah that's why I needed to to be able to work productively and be a good SEO but it's uh. not that I run just for the sake of running to be faster right okay so yeah we're going to talk about running. addiction to SEO now because SEO does something to your brain that makes you addicted oh, yeah. and makes you wake up in the morning thinking, I really want to do this. You have that SEO addiction and so do I. Totally. And today it's technical SEO and I'm hugely interested because I looked at the list of questions. You sent me 20, 22 sorry, questions and I don't know the answers to a lot of them. So I'm glad you're here. And we're going to start off with crawling and indexing because Fabrice Canel from Bing, who is Mr. Bingbot, told me he's hugely frustrated that people say crawling and indexing for him. There is discover, select, crawl, render, index. So, so we have five, five stages. Five stages, yeah. And can you briefly talk about each one? And maybe yeah. I will chime in if I have something useful to say. Right. Okay. None of this is my own work. It's all Fabrice Canal, and I'm hopefully going to get it right. Basically, discover is how easy is the page to discover? And it comes down to if there are no inbound links, it's never going to get found. Inbound in terms of, sorry, inbound yeah. or internal. Um, the more links there are, the more probability is it will be to be discovered. So links there are hugely important. Next is select. Does Bingbot or Googlebot select a page? And that doesn't mean does it say, oh, I like this page. It's even before the crawl moment. It looks at the link to the page and it tries to decide, is the page behind this link worth crawling? And that's, that's an their... interesting one. Yeah, and he was saying what they were doing was saying, we want to avoid even crawling spam. So we now have algorithms that figure out the probability of behind this link, it's going to be spam. Yeah, that's um, super interesting. And is it uh, only for Bing or do you think Google does the same thing? Because honestly, I don't know. I would be very, very surprised if Google don't do the same thing uh -huh. because Fabrice's point was it's a huge waste of resources and a huge cost to the company yeah, totally. crawling spam. So the more you can reduce even going to the spam pages, 
or yeah. the pages that are thin content or the pages that are duplicate content, the more you save on resources and therefore money. And they're both commercial enterprises, so saving money is huge. And he was saying, what was it, 70 billion pages a day that they've never seen mm. before, they discover every single day. 70 billion pages they've never seen before. So they can't realistically or cost effectively crawl all 70 billion. They exclude, yeah. I don't know how many, let's say half, by guessing what's behind or saying we'll do that later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that so makes that, sense. That selection is both getting in, get, even being crawled, but also when you will be crawled and how often you will be crawled. Um, then the crawling is obviously how easy is it to crawl the page? How easy is it to get the content? Is the server slow? Uh, is it JavaScript delivered? Um, is, is there robots.txt blocking it? Is there no index, which we'll talk about later? Uh, the ease of crawling is hugely important to them uh, in terms, once again, of resources. So if you think yeah. about the entire um, discover, select, crawl, render, index process, what they're trying to do is save money and Fabrice himself says, try and reduce the digital footprint, sorry, the, the carbon footprint yeah, on yeah. Microsoft on the planet. Totally. And that's a huge thing for Fabrice. And he's building the bot. And I would imagine Google are working down the same lines as well. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and then rendering. Can it, can it render? Does it render? Um, I, I think I heard once from Google is that they will collect the page. And if there's lots of JavaScript, they won't render it. They will tag it for coming back and crawling again later and rendering later. I'm not sure yeah. how true that is, two steps. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. But uh, recently, um, I, I, I think there were some tests done. And very often, this, uh, this time span between, being, uh, between Google reads the HTML and rendered HTML, sometimes it is even a matter of seconds. But right. if the site is like super, super complicated, Sometimes uh, the the kind of the span between the two may be maybe a bit longer. That's why it is usually a good idea to have at least the basic SEO information both in the source code and in the render code because things may change after rendering. And sometimes Google may rank you just based on what's in the source code. And in the rendered, there may be new things, other things. Mm. Tags may change, title tags may change. So that's why it is usually a good practice to keep them keep them the same similar right okay so you can't rely on google rendering systematically or bing bot for that matter you um, can but you have to like be careful at least check uh, what your site looks like after rendering compare the ren rendered code with the source code make sure mm. that this is consistent Okay. And, and, and this, this really does come down to not just talking about crawling and indexing, but remembering that there are five stages, discover, select, crawl, render, and index. And once you break it down into that, you know what you need to focus on and you know what you're looking for. To discover, you need those links. To select, you need those links to make sense and to encourage the bot to come to this page. To crawl, you need to make sure it's easy for the, or possible even for the bot to crawl it, for rendering that it can render and you don't rely on rendering in terms of your SEO, at least in the short term. And then index. And this is the one that I think is the most important from my perspective. Obviously, once you've had the page found, crawled, uh, sorry, discovered, selected, crawled, and rendered, then the real work starts. And Bingbot and Googlebot then take the content of the page and try to guess all of the different roles of the different parts of the page 
what yeah. they mean, what they contain, and then annotate it. They annotate each and every part of yeah. the page. And Gary Elias was talking about, think about your page as a set of folders. And Fabrice Canal says, we just break it into chunks and then annotate each chunk saying, this is what we think is in there. And this is the confidence we have in our mm -hmm. annotation. So you need to look at it from that perspective is what, break your page down into all the different chunks. Microsoft actually called them chunks. Mm -hmm. That makes sense that can stand alone and be analyzed alone. Help the machine to, render, to, to analyze it using semantic HTML5, um, using simple page structure, make sure the content is clear because what it will then do is says, well, we think this is the heading. We think this is the paragraph after the heading and that this is the subheading with the paragraph after it. And we think the content is about topic or the keywords associated yeah. with our this, that, and the other. And our confidence is 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%. And the other teams at Microsoft told me, without Fabrice annotating with a confidence level, they simply will not pick the content out. So oh. what they all do is they look at the annotation and they say, okay, that's a good candidate for the current query, the current need. I will use that and I will prioritize them according to the confidence that's been applied. So if your content doesn't have, or the chunk of your content doesn't have the annotation that corresponds to the search intent of the query, you won't even get selected. And Gary Ilyash in uh, Kiev a couple of years ago said, it's all well and good thinking about an LP. It's all well and good thinking about mum, but if the word isn't in the, in, isn't in the page, yeah. you're unlikely to even get selected to be analyzed with the NLP and the mum. Yeah, so totally. These annotations, I think for me, or I know for me, are the foundation. That's the key. Once, the, once you've got the page into the machine, make sure it can annotate accurately and with confidence because that's your key to getting into the algorithms that might then rank you. Yeah, totally, totally. And uh, I would actually like to add uh, stage six to that, which mm. is ranking. And sometimes, sometimes people think that, for example, uh, crawling it means indexing and indexing means ranking. I'm just like now uh, shortening the, these two, three phases. Mm -hmm. And it is important to know that one doesn't equal another. It is not yeah. guaranteed that you will be indexed after crawling. There are so many, so many instances of pages uh, which are stuck in, in, in Google Search Console in crawled, currently not indexed. And there is a similar situation in, in big webmaster tools as well. Mm -hmm. And a ton of, of course, obviously a ton of pages which are indexed but not ranked, which is kind of our, the goal of our, our job. Yes. So that's 100%. something I think, yeah, which is important. Um, well, what, what's just occurred to me there, which is really obvious now I think about it, and everybody else probably already knew this, is there are multiple stages where the page can be rejected. Yeah. And to get to the stage where it's actually indexed is actually relatively complicated. Have you got any particular hints and, and tips and tricks for pages that are crawled but currently not indexed? Usually this, uh, this requires uh, a more in-depth analysis. Very often it is a matter of quality if your pages the, the, the pages I have been uh, I have been auditing which which had that problem in most cases this was th those pages were simply thin short 
they they weren't bringing anything new to the table kind of looked right. like thin content and this is mostly the case of course not always but in many cases i think this is where helpful content eeat those types of things are becoming more and more important especially in light of ai tools which are now uh, generating tons of content for us which is good kind of okay when you look at it like um at first sight it looks okay so like the entry the level of entry has become way way lower and that's yeah. why i think this quality is something that will become even more and more important which is potentially something they will then do is if they believe that the page has been generated by ai or the content has been generated by ai they just put it to one side and say well we don't really want this because we can do that ourselves and i think that's perhaps what people don't really think about is that if you're going to generate text using AI and give it to Google and hope Google will rank it and present it, why wouldn't Google just do that themselves and generate their own text from the AI? Yeah, that, that makes sense. But on the other hand, uh, since ChatGPT came, beca became so popular, I have been uh, creating a lot of sites purely on uh, using mm. ChatGPT. And to be honest, some of them are ranking very well. But of course, that doesn't mean it won't change. I don't think that Google will be punishing uh, the fact that you are using AI content, but still, if you proofread it, even I think Google even said that they they are okay with AI content, but you have to proofread it. You have to make sure that it actually makes sense, that there are no hallucinations. And if you can mm. add some touch of human experience to that, you should be okay in most cases. But I th still oh, think yeah. that quality will become... Uh, will have to be better and better with time. Yeah, quality is always going to win in the long run. Um, yeah, but we're off topic now. But I. The next. Yeah, I Go just ahead. I just wanted to say something about Bing and Bing Webmaster Tools. So uh, I've been doing some testing on how Bing indexes pages and how Google. I have I have some observations. Uh, I would say that Bing in general is more restrictive and it is easier for you to get stuck in Bing at those early phases. Even in the case of my site, I think like three oh. years ago, I, I put it out there, Google indexed it like right away and go and in Bing, I couldn't get it to index. I had to reach out to them like personally, and then they said that I am um, contradicting, some, I am breaking some of their rules. I didn't even really know what those rules were. Mm. But for example, uh, in Bing Webmaster Tools, you have this site scan feature, which allows you simply to run a scan. And then Bing Webmaster Tools will tell you that, uh, for example, you have meta description that's too long, you have title that's too, too short, things that we would... Things that we sometimes ignore, thinking that they are not that important, but those things may actually uh, contribute to you having a problem with Bing. So usually it's a good idea to go through them and fix the ones that you can easily fix without like spending 100 hours on, on them. So in that respect, I think Bing is interesting and generally the entire Bing Webmaster tools is, is, is a very, very interesting tool that has a lot of capabilities and I recommend anyone to use both GSC and Bing Webmaster tools because there's a lot technical a lot of nice technical stuff there right brilliant well that's my weekend out of the window then um 
so we're now moving on to the next question. Yeah. Question seven in Always. our list is, is it enough or a good idea to block a site in robots.txt to prevent indexation? Sorry. Okay, so um, I uh, many years ago, I, I, I think like uh, 13 years ago, I put up a Polish uh, SEO uh, blog and I was like writing about SEO thinking that I know something about SEO at that time. And I recently stumbled upon a post where I wrote that to block indexation, you have to block a page in robots text. And then I thought, Jesus, did I really write that? So no, it is not enough. You definitely have to have a no index tag because if you block the site, the page in robots, you simply prevent it from being crawled. But if, mm -hmm. if it is prevented from being crawled, it doesn't mean it won't get indexed. If there are links from other places on the internet, it may get indexed. And then you will have this very, very ugly snippet in in search oh. results, which which says something like oh. uh, blocked in robots takes some, something like that, mm. which looks very ugly. You, you basically don't get your snippet. So that's, uh, that's an important distinction to make. And I think it leads us to the next uh, question, something that we briefly discussed last time, yep. which is, is it enough to block us? Is it, uh, does no index tag or always work, work? And how to, how to make sure that Google doesn't index a site? Yeah, and my take was that I have seen multiple circumstances where I've no indexed a page and it has still appeared. And my reading of that was that Google just makes its own mind up and that's just a kindly suggestion on my part. Uh -huh. And how did you uh, determine whether the page was indexed? It was ranking. Uh -huh. Okay, so it, if it was ranking, then, then totally, tot totally. But there can be a situation where you have a page uh, and you decide to, to, to no index it for some reason, mm. and you block it both in robots text and, in, uh, and you add a no index tag. Right. And if you do that, then Google will not be able to see the no index tag and won't uh, remove it from search results. Aha. That's, so, that's a possibility, yeah. Yes, it is. I mean, it, and once again, I mean, as we discussed, it might just be that I wasn't paying attention properly and I was a young and over-enthusiastic SEO. Actually, young, it was only five <laughs> years ago, but there you go. Um, and I, I wasn't really paying that much, much attention. So I was just thinking, oh, and then I just did a removal request and got rid of it from the index uh -huh. anyway. Um, but there are, yeah, but there are also other cases, like even recently, I changed, I think I added canonical tag to a different page because I was running into some cannibalization. I did it like, I don't know, a few days ago. Then I uh, did a test in, in GSC and it was showing me that the site is indexable. And then I realized that uh, this was Cloudflare. I didn't flash Cloudflare. And even though I thought I mm. added uh, this, it wasn't really like live. So Ooh. that's a minor thing, but can also like make you think that you did something while you actually didn't. And one right. more thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, and then Cloudflare adds an extra layer of complexity in terms of you have yeah. to remember that that's out there and it's caching all these files. Yeah, yeah totally, totally. And one more case, uh, if you check if your site or a given page is indexed using site colon uh, command, it is very likely that you will see some pages there which aren't indexed because this is like kind of an external tool for you to, to see 
whether Google knows knows those pages, but not necessarily, but not necessarily those pages have to be indexed. So that that's also something that can mislead you into thinking that the page is indexed while it isn't or it isn't ranked uh, served anywhere but your site colon command. Right. Yeah. And uh, on the topic of no index, I was talking to Yoast Develop years and years ago, uh -huh. and uh, Yoast plugin used to no index the login page. Yeah. But that's a huge problem for rich site links on brand search. Totally. Because people want to access the login page. And I talked to him about it, and he said, oh, you're right. But it, they were doing it for security reasons. And it's really uh -huh. important to remember that these pages need to be indexed because the, the people, people are searching users, for them. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but even potentially your privacy policy um, in terms of EEAT, if you want to prove that you're a legitimate business who respects GDPR, having Google read your privacy policy isn't a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. And there are, again, I heard about tests where it actually makes a difference. If you have like a new brand new site, whether you put privacy policy there and make it indexable or not, it, it can make difference to your site. So I'm totally, I totally agree with everything you said. Oh, hooray. We agree. <laughs> we didn't agree on no index, but we do agree on no index today. Um, so Next question is how to check or compare the rendered HTML versus the source code. I don't even understand the question, so I probably <laughs> won't understand the answer. I think you do. You are just humble, being humble. <laughs> but okay. Or being uh, silly or both. I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay, so the source code is everything you have like in the source code, something that's um, the way you want, um, simply the code of your site. And the rendered HTML is... Is, is the code, the HTML, uh, after JavaScript has been rendered. And there are okay. always like differences because in the source code, you don't have uh, those scripts rendered. In the rendered, you, you do. So there are always like changes. But yeah. this is a matter of what changes are made and how important they are, how serious they are. Because if, for example, in the source code, you have uh, a noindex tag, and in the rendered, you don't have it, then it may really confuse Google and you may end up um, with Google doing not what you exactly desired it to do. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think I heard of somebody using Google Tag Manager to know index pages. And the problem that they had was that Google would see index and then it would change to no index. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and uh, talking about comparing, uh, there are a lot of tools that can uh, can allow you to do that. One being Jet Octopus or, for example, Screaming Frog. You simply run a crawl and check mm -hmm. that you want to render render uh, JavaScript, and then after the crawl is done, you can compare side by side both uh, source right. and rendered. And even in in uh, Screaming Frog, you can also see screenshots of the rendered HTML. Uh, so you can easily see if some, some things are missed. Right. Oh, cool. I, I use Screaming Frog, but I've never done that. And another uh, question about rendering. Yeah. Oh, sorry, you're going to say something about yeah, Screaming Frog. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to say, but be careful with those because this is not exactly how Google sees. Screaming Frog can show you something that Google does not necessarily see it this way. That's why it's good to use Google tools, which is you can simply 
use the mobile-friendly test, which is which is going away. But mobile-friendly test allows you to see the rendered screenshot and the rendered uh, HTML of a given page. Once it's gone, I think you will be able to use uh, rich results test. I think it does the same. It allows you to okay. see the screenshot and the rendered HTML. So you can do that comparison and be sure that this is how Google sees your site. Ooh, brilliant. Wonderful. Um, next on to uh, sitemaps. Yeah. Are they important? So I would say they are important, but it depends, as always, <laughs> what type of site you have. If you have a very small site, which has like one, a couple of hundred pages, in most cases, you it doesn't really matter if you have a sitemap or if you don't. It is a good practice, and usually this is not a problem to create one automatically. So it's always good to have one. But if you have a huge site and the site isn't well interlinked, you don't have internal linking set up properly, it may be difficult for Google to discover all of your pages. And yeah. as a result, those pages may not get crawled or indexed. If you have like a super, super huge site, and for example, there are problems in your sitemap. For example, you have um, you have all the URLs in your sitemap are redirected, or you have incorrect URLs, 404s, stuff like that. If it is like a super huge site, like millions of pages, you may run into crawl budget issues at some point because Google may be crawling those things that it shouldn't be actually crawling. So. Small sites, nothing, nothing super, super important. Big sites, this is important. Um, yeah, big sites. A great sitemap is going to be hugely helpful, and a bad yeah. sitemap that's inaccurate is going to be hugely um, damaging, even. Yeah, totally, totally. And for example, uh, one thing I recently learned about sitemaps: uh, Google is ignoring uh, the priority, uh, priority right. and uh, frequency change. I think those two parameters. Mm -hmm. But Bing, I, I'm not sure what's their official stance on that. But Bing actually kind of takes that into account. And if you have priority set to like 50% uh, on a site uh, on a couple of pages in Bing, you may actually struggle with those with those pages. So usually it is good to have priority set to one, 100 for all pages in Bing to, to make sure they get crawled Ooh. and indexed. Wow, okay, Ooh, jolly good. And what about <laughs> all those errors reports we get in GSC and SEMrush? I mean, one thing I've seen is that clients come and they say, well, I've got all these errors. And if you sort them out, the client's really happy, but does it really make a difference? Yeah, so in most cases, it doesn't really make a difference. Like even recently, my client for forwarded a GSC message he got, even though I got it too. And the message was, um, I think there are indexing issues, something like that. And this was about one page uh, that we removed, mm. which now is returning 404. And this was done on purpose. But it may look scary. Your site mm. has indexing issues. What's going to happen? And this is this is when it is important for for SEOs to use their critical minds to assess those because those reports you cannot follow those reports those warning warnings blindly because there is always be something that you have to take into account the scope the severity of a given issues semrush is very good at sending a lot of those uh, those mm. warnings which can actually which can really uh, stress you out but i have seen pages uh, sites that rank very well and have like 
20% OK score in, in, in SEMrush. And I, I have seen sites that have 100% and they rank for nothing. So this is like an extra thing you can do, a technical check. Sometimes it may help you find some things that you wouldn't uh, find manually, but always you have to like analyze it and, and use your human brain because at least now AI won't, uh, won't be enough for you to make an informed decision based on those, uh, those uh, warnings right. you get. Yeah, I find those warnings a little bit frustrating, especially yeah. with clients and trying to, trying to explain to them actually that isn't really very important. We should yeah. be focusing on something different. This is such a scary email, but don't, you shouldn't care <laughs> how to explain it. <laughs> All right. Next, what is site speed a thing? Uh, core web vitals a thing everyone yes. got overexcited about it a couple of years yeah. ago yeah I think like two years ago it was like a, a huge thing I was also one of the people who were obsessing about this creating checklist audits uh, I really learned mm. a ton about core web vitals back then but uh, I don't think there is a study uh, and I haven't seen that in my experience as well, that proves that core web vitals can actually help you rank. They don't mm. really matter. I think this was mostly done for the purposes of Google uh, saving maybe money crawling because everyone was now about making their sites faster, which is, which is okay. But mm. I don't think when it comes to like purely ranking, it's, it, it has any impact. Of course, you, don't, you cannot go overboard and have a site that loads in, in two minutes. I, I saw examples like that. But as long as it's, it's kind of okay, it loads, I don't think you have to like go crazy about the shift, layout shift or some, something, something else. That's like your first paint is like point. 0.1 seconds to to low to slow yeah. it doesn't really matter i wouldn't recommend spending like a week or two weeks with your devs trying to fix artificial score in for example in google uh, page speed insights because you also yeah. have this this artificial lab score in addition to core web vitals definitely a better idea to spend that uh, that time creating new content content or optimizing the existing content the ROI will definitely be higher on that yeah i think that's something we often lose sight of is where is the return on investment and core web vitals and site speed are not necessarily going to be the best one although on an e-commerce site site speed yeah. or page speed is going to be hugely important because you're going to convert more so yeah. there's a balance totally. to be made yeah, once yeah. again you use your sensible brain. Um, and yeah. I think it was Duda who said that they have, I can't remember how many hundreds of thousands of websites, millions maybe of websites. They mm -hmm. really got the core web vitals down to a T. And from my memory, they said it didn't actually make any difference. Oh, okay. I haven't heard this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had a couple of webinars with them and they, they said, you know, we, we are the best of all the platforms, <laughs> yeah. better than Wix, better than WordPress. They were very, very happy. And then they said, but at the end of the day, it didn't actually make a difference. <laughs> just a, just um, good PR for them. Great PR because they've just got some more two years later. Yeah. Um, now, goose egg SEO. I've never, ever heard of that. I know what yeah. goose eggs are and I know what SEO is, but I don't know what they are when you put them together. Yeah, I heard that like recently. I learned about this. Uh, I learned about this on SEO Fight Club channel when right. there's Ted who is who is working, who is doing, uh, who has a lot of experience in e-commerce side, e-commerce SEO. And the thing he shared 
is that if you have an e-commerce site, for example, a new client, and this client has, let's say, 100,000 uh, pages, and half of those pages um, don't get any traffic, uh, like zero traffic uh, on a monthly, daily basis. And if you just make sure that each of those pages gets one click per day or per month, you are going to add so much traffic by, by, by just doing that. And very often it is quite easy to, to get, uh, get a page to get one click. It is very often just a matter of improving titles, especially in e-commerce. You can very often achieve a ton with just small basic fu SEO fundamentals because in most cases there, is, there are fundamentals that are missing. Like, like as I said, internal linking, titles, you can change a few things and uh, have those goose eggs work for you and actually make a ton of difference in terms of, in terms of traffic, even though you are just adding one visit right. in GSC per day. <laughs> so the goose egg idea is simply saying with this mass of pages, one click per month is going to add up to quite a significant yeah, amount Yeah, totally, traffic. totally. Brilliant. Oh, I like that. That's a nice new concept that I yeah. haven't heard of. <laughs> um, small technical fixes sometimes make no difference at all and sometimes completely change the game for a site. Can you give us a couple of examples of technical fixes that have completely changed the game? Because that's what everyone's looking for. Yeah, so I was once um, reviewing a very massive, very massive, very huge um, uh, lawyer uh, website. Maybe not that huge. It, has like, it had like a couple of thousands of posts, blog right. posts. And the problem with that site was that uh, all those category pages, if I remember correctly, on top of being no indexed, uh, all the links, all the internal links to blog posts, uh, all the links were going through read more. And the only Ooh. thing we did, we made sure that the title of the post is actually the link and that the, all the categories are, are indexable, crawlable, and it made like almost overnight, like such a huge difference in traffic. So this was very simple, like one small change in the code made mm. by a developer and the site is now has, has got a new life, I would say. <laughs> Brilliant. And, and that, that thing about read more or it, it's something I'm always very tempted to do because as a human being, I've just read the bit before. I see read more and I think, all right, I'll click on that link. But it doesn't help search engines. And when you look at what Fabrice talks about is selection, is read more isn't a very good anchor text yeah. for being selected. It might well just ignore it. And another problem we had at one point was in rich site links. We ended up with read more as being the blue link in the rich site links <laughs> on our brand search. <laughs> Uh -huh. because we'd link to one of the pages with read more. Okay, yeah. And I, I'm not sure if you remember that, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, if you typed click here into Google, you would see Adobe website because this is how people used to link to that in the like very, very old times. And oh, yeah, but, but of course... <laughs> no, those course... good old stories from years and years and years ago. I mean, another another story which isn't actually technical SEO, it's Amazon, is, mm -hmm. uh, I think it was Kevin Indig who pointed this out, is mm -hmm. up until, I think it was two years ago, their mm -hmm. meta title on the homepage was cheap books, hi-fis, and videos. Yeah. And two years ago, they suddenly realized that the homepage is actually for branding, and they changed it to... Um, Pay less, smile more, Amazon. 
<laughs> and it's taken them 25 years to figure yeah. out that the homepage of the website is actually for branding. Yeah, totally. And regarding Amazon, very often people uh, think that, um, I heard at least a lot of people say that, okay, so if, if Amazon is ranking for those queries products, I don't stand a chance of ranking. Mm. And I don't think it's true very often. If you, maybe Amazon, Amazon, of course, is a huge brand, but specific URLs for specific products very often have zero backlinks and are not yeah. optimized that well. And very often you can, with little on-page optimization, you can actually take them over. All right. Yeah, I did a talk a, couple, a week ago. I mean, 100% agree. And I did a talk a week ago, and one of the screenshots was, it's not just uh, where you show up, it's how you show up. Yeah, totally. And that's the idea of, 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 I took a screenshot of a result for Buy Red Shoes and it's got Zalando and Amazon and they're just the most boring results you can possibly imagine. And then one site slightly further down, which was really interesting, you're saying, well, um, other than the branding, I'm going to click on the one that's the most interesting that actually shows me that brand, shows me some personality and makes me want to do business with them. Yeah, and this is where rich results come very useful, mm. become very useful. And maybe since we are we are we have touched upon that, maybe you can uh, share a bit of your knowledge regarding schema because I know mm. like I know schema the way I should know it, but I'm pretty sure you know way more. So can you tell me like uh, how we can effectively implement schema to improve ourselves in SERPs? Is it enough if I have rank math? do schema for me or yeah. do I need something more? I guess I do. Right. Yeah, well, there are, there are two things that you need to look at. Number one is things like Rank Math and Yoast and uh, WordLift with their FAQ markup are designed to take advantage of the features that Google are offering. And Google are offering these features like the, the stars, the yellow stars or the accordion menus and images as well uh, is something that they're offering mm -hmm. up and they're trying to include what you're including in your schema. That's the carrot to get you to include schema because you can then go to your boss and say, look, we got these stars, look, we got these accordions, look, we got this image. That's all thanks to schema. So these tools are often designed just to serve that purpose, to drive those rich snippets, those rich elements. And for that, absolutely fine. Absolutely no problem at all. They're exactly what you need. But then mm -hmm. there's a second level of schema markup, which is uh, reiterating what's in the page in Google's native language. And schema markup is Google and Bing's native language. So what you're doing with the schema markup is identifying explicitly the important aspects of the page so that mm -hmm. the machine, once it's read the page, understood the page, can properly, and we come back to... Um, Fabrice Canel's indexing and annotations, it can properly index and annotate it with confidence because you've explicitly mm -hmm. provided it with confirmation of what it already understood in schema markup. So on a wider scale, schema markup also serves that, which is to build confidence in understanding for the annotation, which will help you get ahead of the queue in the indexing being pulled up into the ranking systems. And the third, I only said two, but I've just thought of a third one as I was talking, is what WordLift does, mm -hmm. is build an internal knowledge graph using schema markup to connect all the pieces together. This page contains that, which links to this, which is published by that, which is, has this as the author, and it builds an understanding, or sorry, a knowledge graph, which you can then transfer to Google as understanding. 
So there are mm. three levels of schema marking. It depends how ambitious you want to be. Impress your boss with the rich snippets, rank math, uh, and a lot of other simple tools, click and, and set up, and you're fine. Then there's, uh, can I reassure the machine, build its confidence in its understanding on what it's seen on the page? That's stage two. Stage three is, can I build an internal knowledge graph that I can then transfer to these machines so that they can understand the entirety of my website and how it all fits together? Mm -hmm. So stage two is, I think, exactly what you did for, for my website, right? So yes. because you're helping me, uh, helping me uh, help Google understand my new name. And, uh, and I think yeah. it, it has like, it has started to work. That, that's uh, a really good distinction. Sorry to, to cut in yeah, there. Yeah, but, um, totally. CaliCube does stage two just on the entity home, the about page for you. And that's why we work with the word lift a lot, because what we do is mm -hmm. that stage two, let's make sure it understands your about page. And then word lift takes it on from there and builds the entire knowledge graph. And it works, as you've seen. Yeah, yeah, totally. Super. That was my schema schema excitation moment and as you can see i'm jumping up and down like yeah yeah i can see that so. yeah totally you're <laughs> the best person to talk about schema and knowledge knowledge panels Ooh, for sure i had i had jano vandriel on on the show a few weeks ago he's he's actually the number one top best person on schema markup he's astonishing i think the two of you are thank you very much that's very very <laughs> kind i i'm 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 flattered now, can we come back to the question 15? Yeah, sure. How can sure. we leverage the use of canonical tags to improve our SEO? So one thing uh, about canonicals uh, that has changed some time ago, I don't remember exactly. Canonicals are treated by Google as hints, which means Google may think, may, may use it or may not use it. And when we have to be, be aware of that, I think... Uh, on my blog recently, uh, I have been also been trying on like uh, fight canonicalization. This is even something different uh, to what I mentioned before. And uh, this time Google was able to see that canonical for some time, but still Google didn't listen and was still ranking both pages, the, the canonicalized mm. one and the, and the one which, which was like uh, the main one. So in some cases it, it won't work. And in those cases, you may simply want to merge the two pages and redirect uh, the, the one that you are merging, for example. Uh, and uh, another thing right. regarding canonical, maybe you have something about canonical. No, no, no. I was going to move on to duplicate content, but you've got something oh, yeah. to say about canonical. So we'll finish that and then go on to duplicate. Yeah. So basically be aware that this is, this is a hint, not a, not a directive. Right. And okay. maybe one more thing just, just, just popped in my mind. If you want to check uh, what Google thinks is the canonical page uh, of your site, you have to inspect it, uh, use the inspect tool, uh, inspect URL in Google Search Console, and then it will tell you uh, that uh, user selected canonical or Google chose different canonical than right. user. So this is, this is something that... I recommend doing if you are not sure whether it's working correctly. Super. Brilliant. Now, duplicate content. We, you, we had, sorry, a problem where we had two articles that were everything you need to know about a knowledge panel. Uh -huh. And that was because I wrote one years ago and the person who wrote the new one didn't know I'd written it. And we ended uh -huh. up with two articles and it was huge confusion. And we've just merged them, as you said, 
and taken the best bits out of my old article, added the new article, redirected, kept the old URL. That sounds like it's going to work, I hope. So um, there are a few, a few things. Like I think last week um, there was a quote from someone from Google. I don't remember. I think it was as part of Google Office Hours. Uh, where Google advised that if you see uh, indented indented uh, URLs in search results, it means that probably you may want to merge them because they are similar. Mm -hmm. And actually, in the case of some can uh, cannibalization issues, this is this is what I also also noticed. So, but there are also cases where it is actually a good thing because you are simply getting more real estate. So it is. Yeah. It is for you to, to decide, but if, for example, you are on like number seven, number eight, and you cannot get to number one, uh, oh, maybe right. it is a sign you should merge them and maybe it will elevate you to the top because all the like um, authority signals, everything will, will be merged into, into one. But when merging, make sure that um, you are merging to, to the one which, which has uh, more authority, more links, because like, if a link goes through, through a redirect, it always like, loses some percentage of juice. <laughs> yeah, I thought Google was saying a, a, a year or so ago that they now don't lose juice on the 301 redirect, but that might be me misinterpreting what was said. I I think they, they said that, but, uh, but you don't believe again, them. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, and I was talking to Sarah Mokansaya earlier on, um, and one of the comments was, always take what Google say with a pinch of salt. They've got a yeah. hidden agenda, which is their own uh, benefit. Yeah, totally, and as you said totally. earlier on, the Core Web Vitals was all about them saving money. Yeah, it, it's a, it's an awesome like um, it, it's it's like Google Search Central for example. This is an awesome blog where you can learn a ton Google documentation. But always, I advise testing some ideas for yourself yeah. and kind of drawing your own conclusions. Yeah, don't don't take what Google say at face value. Yeah. Now internal linking, I'm really interested in this because we went through a whole process of doing the internal linking manually. Oh, and uh, how did it go? Oh, it went very well. We got lots of extra traffic. We boosted our rankings. And the person who did it mm -hmm. now understands absolutely everything about brand search knowledge mm -hmm. panels. That's Jean Marie. And she now mm -hmm. also has a map of the entire nice. websites at CaliCube in her head. So it was a huge amount of effort. She now has uh, an entire map of the, web the websites in her head. But was it the most effective way to do that? I would say that depends. If this is a relatively, <laughs> sorry, if, if it is a relatively small site, like a couple of hundreds, up to a couple of hundreds pages, it may be worth doing it manually because you will, you will, as you said, you will have this clear map of the site, what connects to what in your head, and it will immensely help you down the road. Mm. In the case of my site, I also like planned it out. If I, for example, build a new site or rebuild a site for my client, if they are relatively small, I also do it manually. I mm. map keywords, I try to silo them. But of course, it is not always the fastest and the most efficient way. And if no. you have an already working site, which has a couple of thousands, uh, thousand um, URLs, 
the first thing to do is to make sure that uh, anchor text is is okay to crawl the site make sure uh, check if there are for example orphans urls because very often in the case of e-commerce there will be product yeah. pages that have zero or, or one link and if these are important products you have to make sure that they have more more links and there is a very nice uh, solution uh, in links which can help you automate the entire process are you using in links by dixon jones no, I don't, uh, but I've heard very good things about it for the yeah, internal yeah. linking. Yeah, so this is something I have been also using on some sites where I don't have time to do it manually. And it, and it really saves a lot of time and adds those contextual links. But you have to be sure that you choose the correct entities because it makes those links through entities. And if you mix it up, then you will have a lot of irrelevant links. But generally... Yeah. Links have, sorry, just links yeah. have to be internal links. You don't want to know follow them. Mm -hmm. They have to be, have anchor tags that make sense. And usually every page on the site should be reachable within like three clicks at most. You don't want to like have 10 levels for, okay. for a page to be reached. In That's a nutshell. Nice, really, really simple rules that I, I love really simple sets of rules that we can all follow. Um, so we've actually got, Four questions left, and we can take the next 10 minutes to answer them. What strategies can we employ to improve the crawlability and indexability of our site? So regarding uh, crawlability, uh, this is, again, uh, a bit similar to, to what we talked uh, before. You want to make sure that you don't have 404 pages. If you have tons of 404s, then you will be wasting your crawl budget. The same with server errors. If your server is like, if you're using some cheap hosting, you may start getting 500 errors. And mm -hmm. this will again, uh, th this will again um, kind of um, negatively impact your crawl budget or waste it depending on, on the size of the page. Of course, you, there is crawl stats report in Google Search Console. And this is a great tool to give you like the sample of how Google is crawling your site. If there are any like critical issues, like for example, DNS resolution or robots text is, is, is not available or is returning like 500, those um, kind of fundamental crawlability things, you will be alerted of that, you will see that. So these are, these are I would say, the, the basic, uh, basic things. So, in fact, for the crawlability aspect, it comes yeah. back to the first three things we talked about: yeah. is discoverability, selectability, and crawlability. And then I would assume the indexability of it would be on rendering and indexing. Yeah, totally, totally. Oh, how lovely! Yeah, and and adding to indexability as well, uh, what we talked about the the quality, right? The quality. Mm. This is something that that becomes very very important here. Yeah, and, and the structure of the page, the clarity of what you're writing, using your headings correctly is a really simple way that isn't very geeky, not technical at all, is using an H1, then lots of H2s with potentially some H3s and not starting your page with an H4 or going straight from an H4 to an, H, an H1 sorry, to an H4, which I've seen a lot and um, I've even yeah. done it, I can shamefully say. <laughs> and uh, and one more ahead. thing, uh, I, I have uh, recorded a video, a separate video on that, uh, Many of the sites I saw that have problems with, with indexing, in addition to having like um, issues with quality, they are not done in the way that Google kind of understands 
and not created in the way Google understands uh, pages, which means that if you have a page, you should think about this page as one topic, one keyword. I, I'm just keyword, maybe th that's not the best term, but keyword, mm -hmm. topic, entity, one, one topic, one, one keyword per page. You shouldn't be like writing about everything on, on every page because then you won't be ranking for nothing and you won't and you may not even get indexed. One case I saw, uh, there was again a lawyer site and they wanted to rank for like a few top lawyer lawyer uh, terms like personal injury lawyer, something, something. Yeah. And they had like service pages, they had blog and every every blog post was about some topic uh, which wasn't um, selected on based on keyword research. It was simply selected because like uh, a person who was writing thought maybe we could we should write about this. And every blog post was optimized for this uh, one keyword, personal injury lawyer, every blog post. And oh, as wow. a result, the site like ranked for nothing. <laughs> so that's... That's a fundamental, uh, that's, that's a huge example of how this fundamental SEO rule can be broken and the results can be like horrible. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and Fabrice Canal once again pointed out something really, really interesting to me about discovering, selecting, crawling, rendering and indexing is that the, the bots are now completely machine learning driven. And so the more it sees something, the easier it is for it to discover, select, crawl, index. And totally, totally. And so, for example, using WordPress is by in and of itself an advantage because Google and Bing see WordPress so often. Using some strange theme in the middle of WordPress is going to create a problem. So the closer you stick to the core of WordPress, the better you're going to perform yeah. in the sense that it sees it so often. And interestingly enough, something like Wix, which is very famous, is used an awful lot. So that's another advantage potentially. Duda is used much more than we think it is because GoDaddy's sites are run in parts of the world on Duda. So Duda oh. is actually more popular and more uh, prevalent than we think. And if you're going to build your own bespoke website, entire bespoke system, you're immediately putting yourself at a disadvantage from that perspective is the machine won't be able to understand your site out of the box. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Couldn't agree more. Isn't that fun? Okay, so... Now we're going to talk about the um, migrations without losing traffic. I've done literally over 100 migrations while I was desperately trying to make money to pay for CaliCube when it wasn't making money. And that was one of the main things I did with mm -hmm. site migrations because I found them to be relatively easy yeah. and very well paid. Yeah, totally. I love, I love website migrations as well. And... So far, I haven't uh, had one that was unsuccessful, the one that I was like guiding fully. Brilliant. So, so just, just for anybody watching who's thinking, oh, I need a site migration, who should I ask? Ask Olga, because CaliCube now makes money, so I don't do them anymore. Okay, okay, cool. <laughs> I, can, I can migrate your site. I'll be happy to do that. Super. So and, and what, are the, what are the strategies that you use? Uh, so... Uh, I have created a very, very long post about this, like 600 mm. words. So we may link to that if someone wants more details. But generally, you, you want to be sure 100% that you actually reflect every important page in your new page, new domain, new, new system, depending on what type of migration it is. 
And by an important page, I mean the pages that, of course, get organic traffic, the pages that have rankings. Sometimes they are like the same, sometimes they're different pages that have links. Mm -hmm. And if you are removing some pages, uh, I wouldn't recommend, for example, redirecting them to the home page, but redirecting them to the closest possible page. This, this may even help those closest page rank better. But if you are if you are doing that to the home page, in most cases, it it won't help you in any way. And uh, of course, redirects. Make sure that they are implemented correctly. Test them before, after, right after. Test them one hundred times because some some sometimes things may go wrong. Redirects mm -hmm. may not work correctly, especially if you, for example. Uh, implement redirects using HD access because you have a huge site and you don't want to like manually add those redirects in WordPress, then just test, test, test. And uh, if you, even if you make a mistake, even if something happens, if you catch it very soon, Google won't notice and it won't impact you negatively. Right. So the day after the migration or the day of the And migrate over the weekend. The yeah. You, yeah, you solve all the problems straight away. Migrate over the weekend. You do it on a Saturday. Yeah, Saturday night usually. Yeah. Oh, right. Why is that? Because if something breaks, if the site somehow is not working on Sunday, fewer people will notice than if the site wasn't working on Monday or Tuesday. <laughs> Unless it's a site about yeah, it what depends. to do at weekends. Yeah, totally. If, if, In which if case, the site... it's the other way around. Do it on a Wednesday. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally, depending on the traffic uh, trends of the site. <laughs> Brilliant. Sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't help yeah, yeah, but yeah, say that. Yeah, totally. Great point. So how does Google handle 302 redirects rather than 301s? I mean, 302 is temporary. 301 mm -hmm. is permanent. How much does Google care? So generally, 301 uh, says... Um, tells Google that we want the target to be indexed. 302 right. says that we want you to keep the, the, um, keep the page that is redirected and don't, uh, don't index the target. Oh, that's but, a lovely way of putting it. Yeah, but, uh, but. if you keep 302s for a very long time, uh, Google will start treating them as 301s. It is very often, I, I'm not sure where, where it's coming from, but very often when I work with developers, they, they like to put 302s instead of 301s. And I, I'm not sure why, but a lot of developers do that. So if you do that and, and do only that and you keep those redirects for, for a very long time, it, it won't be a problem. And Google uh, recently said, I think there was even an interesting article on Ahrefs where Patrick Stocks um, ran mm. a test uh, comparing what happens if you keep uh, the redirect after a year or remove it. I haven't finished reading the, this one, but generally, if you remove that redirect uh, after a year, Google should be okay. But, again, but... Users, there may be still users who are visiting yes. from, from other sources. There may be links. So if you can, keep them. Right. Yeah. And uh, Fabrice Canal, once again, because I talked to him more than um, is perhaps reasonable for him because I must be wasting so much of his time, pointed out to me that if a page still has an internal link, uh, Bingbot, at least, might well select it and crawl it. Yeah. And therefore, the 301 redirects needs to stay in place. So he was saying, keep your 301s 
unless there are no in incoming ranks. Yeah, yeah, totally. Which totally. I like as an idea anyway. So we, we've pretty much got all the way through this. Last yeah. question is, how does Google treat subdomains and subdirectories and what is their impact in SEO? That's a huge question for the last one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So I will try to talk about this briefly. Generally, uh, you have to be aware that a subdomain is for Google uh, a, a new site, a separate site. With a subdirectory, this is like the same site. And there may be different reasons for you using either this one or that one. For example, people often um, think uh, are thinking whether they should have a blog in a subdirectory or a subdomain. Mm -hmm. In most cases, I recommend having it in, in subfolder because you will automatically through those blog posts, you will be getting links, you will be getting authority to your main domain. And if this is an e-commerce site, usually it is a good idea to, 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 mm. to make it have links because product pages usually don't get many links. So it is a valid point in, in that respect. But there are also cases where you prefer to have a subdomain if you want to make the site separate from, and make it, for example, put it on a different uh, different CMS. There is also like, uh, you can also do that regarding language division. You mm -hmm. may have a different domain entirely. You can have a, you can have a subdirectory, you can have subdomain. In most cases, I recommend having a, like a separate, separate domain or a subdomain because then you will have like six, six different uh, websites which are independent on one another and if something happens to one of them the rest should be fine mm. so okay. this is this is what where i would recommend having having that and and you won't have problems like google showing the incorrect uh, language version to users in a specific area if you have them separate that problem won't be there so in a nutshell no. that's my my take on it Oh, that's a really interesting point, and I'll end this with Trustpilot. I worked with Trustpilot a lot a few years ago, and they actually switched from subfolders to subdomains, and uh -huh. it was a huge win for them um, uh -huh. by separating the, the countries using subdomains. That wasn't the only change they made, but when they made that change, they implemented other improvements, but it was a huge, huge win for them. They were very smart when they did that. I'm not saying oh. everybody should do that. Yeah, yeah of course. Once you trust pilot. <laughs> of course. Anyway, thank you so much, Olga. We've gone through 22 yeah. super interesting, geeky, techie questions. I generally don't do this because I'm focused on brand and branded searches and entities and schema markup. But I've just learned a lot. And I've done my refresher course of an hour with Olga on technical SEO that I have completely left to one side for the last seven or eight years. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It was a huge pleasure. It was also a nice refresher for me. So I hope we can get this done again in the future. Yeah. And thanks for having me. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Thank you. A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Olga. Thanks, Aton.